Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, your weekly podcast where we take a deep dive examining knowledge, philosophies, wisdom and insights to help you to lead, manage and coach in football, sports and life. Leader Manager Coach is presented by Rob Riles. Rob is a qualified coach with a League Managers Association qualification and a science and medicine background. He has worked in the football industry in Europe, USA and Africa at international, premiership, league, non-league and grassroots levels with World Cup and European Championship experience. Hello and welcome to the Leader Manager Coach podcast. Welcome along to the programme. It's Rob Riles welcoming you along to another edition. Now, today I'm really excited and I'm really pleased. After a long time, um, I have on the other end of the line a good few thousand miles away from me. I'm in the UK and a gentleman who I'm talking to is in uh, South Africa. So, um, as a quick introduction, this gentleman was introduced to me um, because one of my family members who we've had on the podcast is uh, a swimmer and she is coached by a very, very good South African swimming coach. And I hold my hand up and say, apart from what my family members have told me, I don't know an awful lot about him. I've been told he's um, a great guy. And uh, I'm really pleased. I've been trying to get him on for ages. So he's on the other end of the line. It's Hilton Slack, all the way from South Africa. Hi, Hilton. Hi, Rob. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. I'm really good. And um, just to make it timely, we are in the middle of the uh, COVID-19 lockdown. So we've just been discussing how we are dealing with that between us. But Hilton, just for the people who don't know who you are, um, outside of South Africa. So just tell us a little bit of who you are and, and what your background is and what your expertise is, Hilton. That's what we'd like to know. Rob, I'm a, I'm a swimming coach based in Cape Town, South Africa. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've got 28 years of coaching experience uh, in the field of swimming. Yeah. Um, and I'm born and bred out of the Eastern Cape from a city called Utnag, which is just outside Port Elizabeth, which is about 900 k's up the coast from Cape Town. And uh, relocated to Cape Town in 97 with uh, a transfer where I was never going to coach swimming again in my life. And I was going to pursue my uh, engineering background with the, that I have in um, a technical advisory uh, to um, engineering yeah. development and uh, design. Uh-huh. And uh, that lasted a, a full 13 months, or uh-huh. lasted less than that, lasted two weeks, and I was back coaching a triathlete squad in the mornings at 5 a.m. And that right. ambled along for three months down the line, and uh, I was asked by the uh, the local coach that was at the uh, the local Virgin Active, or it was then called Health and Racket in the the southern suburbs of Cape Town. He's got a whole lot of derelict athletes that he doesn't enjoy coaching, and he's kicked them out the squad. And there's around about thirty athletes that still want to swim, but he doesn't want to have anything to do with them. <laughs> right. I thought, well, that that sounds like a challenge, and I took that on the head for another three months. Um, so it was nine months back or nine months into Cape Town and of the nine months I only spent two weeks not coaching. Right. So I held down a full-time job between 9 and 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. and 
coached tri-assist in the morning at five and then went to work and, and in the evening coached these derelict, rejected athletes that the coach didn't like or we didn't like the parents from 8 p.m. until 9.30 p.m. in the evening. Wow. That's, and, um, uh, that, that's, a, that's just as a hold where you are, Hilton, and just remember where you are because I want you to carry on. But that is a lesson for all the coaches because there's so many coaches, Hilton, in football who start out with academies and schools of excellence and communities and are doing exactly what you've talked about except they probably only do the evenings. So you are actually not only have done the evenings, you've done the early mornings and um, it's a great example of what it takes to get time under your belt. So um, fantastic. Great. Carry on, Paul. It's great. So, so um, after these derelict, rejected athletes that no one wanted to coach, I was with them for about a month and I, I called them out of the pool one day and I said to them, guys, I want to challenge you guys. I want to take on the head coach and beat every one of his athletes at the next championships in 12 weeks time yeah yeah brilliant brilliant so they all said to me you think we can do that coach well, a couple of them said the twin do you think we can do that i said well i've got faith in you guys if you just listen to me we're going to beat every single one of these top athletes uh, hilton so how, how, how old were they these how old were these athletes approximately all the all different ages or a certain age group they are they varied between 12 and 17 12 and 16 so you know yeah prime kind of athletes, teenagers, wanting to do their own thing. And, and he was an old school guy that was stuck in his ways. Okay. And, and uh, just, just he so... didn't really know how to take on the yeah. the kind of, I would say, the modern uh, 90s kid, you know? So, so anyway... Just to, uh, Hilton, just yeah. so I can get a little bit of texture to this. So how, how, um, how old are you or how far into your swimming career are you, coaching career are you now at this point? I'm now 28 years into my coaching career, but then I was only. Uh, no, how old were you then? How old when you started this particular project that you're talking to me about now? I was, I was 26 years old. Right, so you were quite a young man yourself, and and you've you've, you've taken taken this on. Okay, so fantastic, brilliant. Yeah. Just a, just a bit of context, right? Carry on, it's a great story. Yeah. So anyway, I um took on these took on these kids, gave them the challenge, and twelve weeks later we had this meet to attend to and we absolutely annihilated the rest of the team because <laughs> the team was made up of two coaches now. And all I was worried about was how many more points was I scoring than the other coach was scoring. Yeah. So it's always nice to be when you're in a team situation to have a team that they're scoring points and it's a valued the athlete is a value to the team yeah and that's a different discussion i can have to you about athlete value and coach value on a different uh, on a different day but we ambled along and we actually uh we came second in the meet overall in in, in points and um but my athletes had scored more points mm-hmm. than what his athletes did so obviously the the question gets asked now, you know, what's the what's the younger coach doing that the older coach is not doing? And all these kids that he had kicked out of the out of the program are still swimming and are actually swimming faster. Yeah. So um yeah, that was a, a lesson on its own. And I continued with that process for another six or seven months 
So Hilton, you know, you know, before the, you had the meeting, did you have them for a month before you had that meeting that um, you, you competed against the other the other lot? No, I had them for I had them for four months. So I had them for a month, and then I said after a month, I said to them, "Hey, listen, yeah, guys, I can't be coming into practice every day, and and you know, I want to challenge you." So my challenge to them was, "Yeah." I want to coach you, but I need you guys to commit to me, and that we, but we need to beat the other, the other side of the team. And if if and you with, if you had to just quickly say what was it you did, and I know everybody wants to know, everybody wants an instant solution, everybody wants the magic answer, and we know that it, there's lots of things. What was it about that 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 was it just how you treated them as people, or if you could, in your own words, what was it? It was about about that someone believed in them. Right. That was that, that's what came out of it. Because a lot of parents came to me and and said to me afterwards, said Yilton, the other coach kicked my kids out of the squad, but he didn't believe in them. Yeah, love it. And it's and it, and it comes back to that LTPD, long term path development of the athlete, of of where is that athlete actually and. Are you coaching him to his current ability, not to what you expect him to be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So that was that was the the outcome of of this that that the kids actually believed that I believed in them, and they took me on 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 the challenge and said, "Okay, we'll we'll prove the coach that we can do it." Um, and Brilliant. I just all I wanted from them is to come to training every day. Brilliant. Brilliant. So it wasn't a very difficult um uh process to to overcome. Yeah. But uh yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's a process that we worked together and we were successful. Okay. So so okay. Where did you go from there, Paul? Well, um I um Six months down the line, the coach came to me and said he'd been offered a job in the States and he's going to be leaving. And uh, he would like me to take over the program full time. And um, okay, so then I've been in Cape Town for 13 months and I um, had been offered this this opportunity to take over the Sequest program in the southern suburbs. Yeah. And I duly did so. So um, the coach left. And uh, I started working uh, and running a program where I uh, started coaching um, at a Virgin Active using three lanes uh, in Constantia, a Virgin Active, and uh, and I built the program from there. He um, he didn't leave many uh, many athletes behind, but um, I built the program to 140 athletes. Right. Um, in six months and doing about 380 to 450 athletes per week in Learntism, in the Learntism program. I had started with two qualified Learntism teachers that were working for me and ended up with about eight and a secretary and the whole entourage that went with it. So it became quite a big organization or quite a big setup uh, quite quickly. is this something that you took on 
as a business in terms of being self-employed and taking the risk and all this kind of thing rather than a paid job or, or was it was it actually an employment situation just for a bit of clarity really uh, it was quite interesting rob because health and records before they became virgin active because they played bankrupt and 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 richard benson took them over in 2002 it was yeah. um I was actually employed by Health and Racket to take over the credits program. And funny enough, I actually spoke to somebody on Sunday about a, a, a very similar situation that they're going through at Virgin Active at the moment where they're having a bit of a restructuring in their credits side. But I was I was I was employed by Health and Racket to run the Learn to Swim program and and then the club swimming program was a, a, a separate entity, but I was the one person that managed both of them at, at the same time. Right. So I was in, I was employed by a, 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 a separate entity, but also um, ran the, the the swim club. So the swim club was first called CHNRC, which is Constantia Health and Record Aquatics. But um, in in the latter part of of uh, business law, you couldn't have a club having the same name as a business. So uh, we broke away and we changed the name literally two months after the new coach, or the old coach had left and I was the new man in charge. And we changed it, changed the name to to Barracudas. We started as a, as Barracudas as, okay. as a club in Cape Town. And we moved swiftly on, on, on the program uh, working under that, that name and that banner. So... Um, so just so I know, Hilton, yeah. so you're obviously, you, you, it's a it's a learn to swim section. And was there also then a, let me, I'll use the word performance section for those who obviously can swim and, and are looking to compete. So was it the whole spectrum that you were doing here? Yeah, it was a whole spectrum. So we covered the whole learn to swim basis as well, where yeah. that was the entity that I actually worked for, Health and Natural slash Virgin Active for. Yeah. Um, and that's where we ran between 380 and 450 kids through a learn to swim program on a weekly basis, and and um, it was it was a really really solid foundation that I set myself um, for moving kids into the squad program. Right. So I created an entire structure. Um, on, on skills development and aquatic skills development, where as the, uh, the athletes had developed the, the skill of swimming and developed the aquatic skills, they'd move into a competitive uh, environment and, and program and then learn that those skills within the long-term path development of, of learning to train, training to train, training to be competitive and, and moving up the progression chart. But that had its own limitations because we only had it was a five-lane, 25-meter pool, and we could only get three of the lanes. So there was a limitation to how many kids you could get into the pool, how often you could coach, uh, you know, and we had restrictions of you cannot coach in, in, in peak times between 5 p.m. and 5, uh, 7 p.m. at night. So, you know, you kind of you coach from 3 p.m. or 2 p.m. until uh, 5 p.m. and then took a break and then coach yeah. from 7 to 9, 30 p.m. type of thing. So it was it was restricted to to a point, uh, but we had some really good times, and we created 
a team that was that was really small and co- competitive to a team that became, as I said, 145, 150 wow. competitive athletes between the ages of 10 and 20. Yeah, I mean, just um, just just on that, Hilton, you've got some real real parallels between the world of football as it is today here, certainly in the in England and the UK. You know, you've got what just looking at your swimming program from learn to swim all through to the kind of higher levels, the more elite levels with you, with you, with your better athletes. It's just like the grassroots funnel into the academy system, into the youth program, and again at the bottom end, if I can use that word. You've got all the challenges of limited facilities, which grassroots have got in this country with pitches availability and the finances and, and the time restrictions. So there's so many parallels. And we've talked about it before that um, coaching, whether you're coaching swimming, you're coaching football, you're coaching volleyball or basketball, the parallels are all there. And what you've just described in, in a real life situation is, is so, so much the same um is in football so it's a great it's a great uh it's a great message yeah so i mean it, it doesn't get any, it doesn't get any better because um in uh, the latter part of of um of the uh, truth or the latter part of the 90s going into 2000 um the constraint on the on the usage of the pools also became far greater, you know, so you really had to be able to think out the box. And then also uh, in South Africa, we've got uh, school sports that dominate our our, our sporting culture in South Africa. And um, in uh, in 2000, the Department of Education changed the the schooling day from a five-hour schooling day to a six-hour schooling day. Right. So a lot lot of the um, schools, all they did, instead of starting at 8.15, 8.15, and they started 7.45, and then they added another half an hour on the back. Mm. So where we as coaches could start coaching and earning a living from 2 p.m., we can only start really now in current South African situation, start earning a living from 3.30 p.m. Right. So, um, and that's if an athlete doesn't have any extramural activities on board. Yeah. So you, you, sit, you sit with, your your earning potential, which has also uh, been been a uh, you know something to keep consider, mm. is your earning potential has gone out out of the window for for, for an hour and a half. Yeah. So Absolutely. you've got to really be creative. Um, you know, if you're talking about parameters uh, of of uh, what coaches uh, are are dealing with in the UK and in South Africa, we have very similar situations to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, no, very interesting. And these kind of things impact coaches as well. Um, the financial aspect of life, which obviously is always a critical thing, um, impacts coaches and where they can travel to, where they're prepared to go. And, and, and actually, are they brave enough to actually get involved in what they want to do? Because um, as you know, Hilton, and I'm sure it's the same, you know, it's not something where you just walk into and you get this massive salary and a gold gold watch, and people say carry on and start coaching. It's um, you know, you do it for an hourly rate that probably most people would laugh at if you um, if you told them when you start. Huh? Say that again, Rob. I say um, the the financial aspect of that you've just alluded to in terms of your earning power as a coach. People often say. 
um, oh yeah, I'd love to be a coach. It's a dream of mine. I, I'm into coaching young people. Um, actually, the reality is when you start out as a coach and if you actually told people what the hourly rate was and how long you did that for, um, they would. Uh, most people walk away and say, oh, I couldn't do that. It's not possible. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's true, Rob, because, I mean, um, a couple of years ago, um, yeah, I, I, I coached, you know, I also went, became more independent in 2002 once Virgin Active had taken over the, the policy. And I actually wrote a policy and procedure for Virgin Active to have their own in-house swim schools way back in, in, in 2000, 2001. And they took, or oh, I was half a and then uh, Virgin Active took over in 2002. And um, it's funny enough, and they're busy doing the same thing. They're busy implementing that exact same thing within their their, um, their uh, uh, gyms. And uh, independent contractors and businesses that run out of gyms are all, you know, are megaheads because of the fact that they now have to become employees of Virgin Active and right. work on their rates and this type of stuff. But yeah. um, what an interesting thing is, carry on. No, yeah, crack. Carry on, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So, so an uh, interesting thing is in in two thousand and nine, and a lot of people don't know this, but I've actually got an engineering background with a marketing and sales degree as well. And I thought, you know, things are really tough in the two thousand and eight economical situation, and uh, and I didn't know which way to turn, and I had an assistant coach, which was paying reasonably well, um. And, uh, you know, people just cut down on luxuries. Luxury uh, of teaching swimming is it's a luxury. Yeah. And uh, same as tennis coaching, you know, it, it comes at an hourly rate and um, you've, got to, you've got to make ends meet and uh, the cost of running things in South Africa has just escalated. Uh, so I decided to follow my engineering um, what's your, uh, mm. background and I actually got employed by a very lucrative um, uh, company, um, uh, actually ended up working for Hilti. Right. So uh, I, actually, I actually built the, the Cape Town Stadium and I built the new airport in, in the, you know, the dunes of building the new airport in Cape Town, um, the Francis Dam, uh, the one and only hotel on the v waterfront, the extension to those uh, four extensions to that. And, you know, at the bottom bottom line, Rob, as you rightly say, you can, you can be earning a lucrative salary as an engineer um, with, with a really, really good background. But if you love what you do uh, and you prepare to get up every single morning or three mornings a week at 5 a.m. Or, or at 4 a.m. to start work at 5 a.m. and coach until 7.30 in the evening and happy with a coach's salary and uh, turn down the, the, the lucrative uh, background engineering and that's what your passion is about. Then, um, then that serves you the best, you know. Uh, you, you're far better as a coach than to be an, uh, a technical engineer, um, turning big money and chasing chasing uh, 24 hour uh, rewards on on financial remuneration. Yeah, no, it's a great story, and um, it resonates so well, and it, it it just mirrors exactly what happens in in. In this country, just um, exactly the same, and um, it's a great story. And yes, you have to follow your heart. I don't think there's any coaches I know who um, 
what can I say, who just walked into it and it was a breeze. Um, anybody who thinks like that has um, got a, a big shot coming. So, um, no, it's a great story and a, another reminder to um, to us all about what we have to commit to to even get anywhere and uh, influence the people that, um, that we work with. So, Hilton, just on that, where, where did you go next? Because obviously... I, you know, I don't want to go into the details of, of, of the, the athletes themselves, but I know that you coach people who, you know, um, are, are pretty what I call pretty decent swimmers. I have no idea about swimming coaching. I'm, I'm as green as grass on that, but um, I, do, I know yeah. that you do. Um, and um, so I'd like to know a little bit about about that, um, kind of what your background in that and, and what kind of, you know, level you've, you've got to and what kind of um, things you get up to with these kind of um what I call the top end or the elite athletes in in your world. Um, there I have top athletes. There are a lot of them are on the national team, but it doesn't mean you're going to get selected for the national team unless you made the qualifying time. So um, I select. Um, International meets that around the world that we can take my team, my, my, my club team on for the exposure of international level. Yeah. And since I started doing this in 2016, uh, I've seen the value of uh, uh, and the quality of the athlete um, just exceed to an unbelievable um, level of expertise. And it's, um, it's amazing how you have the foresight of, of, of allowing the athletes the opportunity and how they raise their level of uh, professionalism. And a lot of these athletes are 15, 16-year-old um, school-going athletes. They're not professional athletes yet. You know? And then yeah. we have the 25, 26, 27, 30-year-olds that are, are swimming on the program as well. But uh, how the the integration and the balance of the team is maintained with just keeping that um, opportunity of professionalism where an athlete can raise themselves to the next level. Um, and coaches need to have that insight, you know, um, where, where do I, um, where do I want to challenge my athlete? Uh, and it's, and again, you know, a lot of them don't see that um, it's about the medal or about the accolades. They'll go along and they will, um, just rise to the occasion and, um, you know, in all aspects of, of, of performance, of uh, cultural interaction um, and self-value, you know. So it's a very important aspect of you as a coach making sure that you're always extending that opportunity for those athletes to perform at the next level um, and building the holistic athlete. Yeah. It's not just about the football on, on the pitch. It's uh, how well rounded is that athlete? You know, how balanced are they? Um, how, how well conversed are they? How well um, culturally uh, um, uh, activated they can be to um, interpret and, and engage with different situations they're in all the time? You know, be it food, yeah. Yeah. Um, be it uh, catching a cab, or, uh, getting their luggage off the off the terminal. Um, you know, just getting around, you know, just communicating it. And how you grow those athletes in those aspects is vitally important as well. What, there's two things I'd like to, to, to just go into a little bit more detail, Hilton, is the first one um, is 
you talked about there seeing a real considerable change, an upward change, a positive change in your athletes when you began to find opportunities for them to be challenged. So essentially you had the same athletes, but because you sought out and facilitated the, the challenges, that experience is, I think I'm right in what you're saying, hearing what you're saying is what made the difference and how they responded. And again, that's another another learning from, from the football that, that's so, so much the same. You can always tell teams and players that have played at a higher level because they're they just learn. They suck up this this knowledge. They suck up this ability from having to compete at this next level. And and I think that's what you're saying there when you said you started to challenge them at a different level, Hilton. Yeah, that's exactly um, that's exactly uh, the um, the uh, kind of um, life skills that I've given them to develop. And you know, I'll 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 take um, I'll take a, 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 an athlete that I've uh, made the national team for the first time at, at the age of 13 or 12 years old. You know, she, she made a junior team. And, I, and the mom came to me and said, yeah, you know, they're going into Africa. So I said, yeah, well, what do you what do you expect? You know, they, they're going to go to an international meeting to Africa. Um, and mom and the dad and the grandmother and everybody else wanted to go and watch the athletes. And I said, no, you're not going with yeah. So the parents were very, very um, taken back by the fact that I said they couldn't go and watch their kids perform internationally. So I said, you must remember one thing: it's going to be a learning experience on many, and many fields. You know, traveling alone, packing your own things, taking accountability for your own actions. I said, and are you going to really expect that athlete to perform the first time at that kind of level? Yeah. At that age, are they going to deliver a world class? or they're going to uh, world-class results. So, you know, parents, coaches, they need to understand that, you know, how do you develop that athlete and have you given that athlete that skill that they can manage themselves when they're traveling? Oh, it's you know, you great. Club, say again, Rob? No, it's great, Hilton. It, it's great what you're saying um, because, yeah. you know, just, it, just, carry on, carry on. Yeah, you know, I'll carry on that on that on that thought. You know, it's it's like a football coach going saying, you know, we're going to go and travel down the road, even if it's thirty k's down the road, and you get a bus and you put your your team in your bus, and they got and they must look after their own togs and they must look after their own kit and make sure that they're all kitted up and they warm up together. Um, then to you know to going to have a, a game at your own own field and uh, mom and dad are around and everything and, and creating you you need to challenge those athletes so when they do make a traveling team somewhere that they can integrate themselves and be accountable for their actions in all aspects of their team mm. from off the field to on the field from on the pool deck to off the pool deck from in the change room to out the change room to you know uh, meals to hydration and to making sure you fueled, hydrated, and that you can perform. Yeah, um, and it's amazing how you travel with athletes and, you, and you'll and you see that this one doesn't um, eat this and that one doesn't eat this and this one's going to now become a vegetarian and this one doesn't do this. And and uh, and also, the, in the same thing, you know, how, how they... Um, I, I've never tried that before. Or what does it taste like? I'll try it, you know. 
as teammates encourage each other to 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 pull along. Yeah. And um uh you know I've got a I've got a meet that I go to annually and uh it's it's the South African short course swimming championship. So and we we swim in the twenty five meter pool, it's in a championship meet. And it's it's ironically always held um in a in a little uh, in a city just outside Durban, uh in the Tel and from the very first time that I, I, I went to that meet, I I took the kids as a traveling. They they we traveled and we stayed in a self catering like little lodge. Mm-hmm. Just outside the town it was like a lodge B and B in proper thatch kind of uh, yeah. kind of stuff. So I'll paint the picture for you. Yeah. And I remember I've got I've got a coaches set of twins that have been with me since the age of nine and they're 18 already, uh, busy finishing school. Yeah. And uh, I remember their mom telling me, uh, she wanted to know the place who's staying and can they can they feed themselves? And who's cooking for them? And are they going to have enough? So I said, this is hard run. We <laughs> arrive at the airport. When we get off the airport, the girls are going to go and buy the food. The boys are going to look after the luggage and I'm going to go to the car with the boys. When we finish load the car, the girls will finish shopping and we'll climb in the car and we'll take a 100k trip up the road to where the meet is going to be held and they've got to fend for themselves. So, and it's an annual trip and, and, and students have just got, and funny enough, three, four years down a lot after these, the set of twins had gone on their first trip, their mom turned around and said, the best thing you've ever done for my daughters is teach them to how to become independent. And Beautiful. I always say to my kids, I always say, Katie, my job is to be, to create a self-sufficient, independent athlete. Beautiful. Self-sufficient, mm. independent athlete. And if you can do that as a coach, in all that you're covering all aspects and spheres of their lives. You've done you've done a really good job as a coach. Do you know I've what? Never Beautiful, mate. When you challenge those athletes. Yeah, it's it's beautiful stuff to me, and I, I hope it resonates with people because it just sounds like if you, if you, I'm absolutely loving that story, and, and I'm going to let you carry on in a second. But you know, the times we've taken young footballers away, and it's those times, the meal times, when you find out who the real leaders are. You can tell what kind of home life they've got. There's kids who turn up, they've forgot the boots, they're going to play for their country and they forgot to bring the boots and their answer is, oh, my mum didn't pack them. You know you've got a challenge with with that one. And then there's others who yeah. help the others along. And you can see, Hilton, when these players come back from the trip, no matter how the football's gone, you can just see the difference in them because they've they've actually metamorphosized into different beings because actually... They've had to learn how to get on and off planes. They've had to learn to fetch their luggage. They've had to learn to get to meals on a certain time. And yeah. y- you've absolutely nailed it. And it sounds, you know, if you listen to some of the greats like John Wooden and Vince Lombardi and, and, and all those kind of guys, coaching legends, they talk about, Hilton, using sport to create good people. And that's... Uh, a, a philosophical kind of point that we could discuss till till kingdom come um but there's no way for me that you can divorce the two and um it, it's it's a great story and it's lovely to hear in real life from you mate brilliant 
Yeah, now that's true, Rob. And uh, you, you need to you need to remember, um, you know, culture creating that culture from a young age is vastly important. And we we in our um, society and our um, you know our ways of life that um, with digital age and everything else, uh, the kids still look for that iconic culture to be to be associated with. And uh, we as coaches need to make sure that we we impart that that um, that culture because that's what builds that um, that performance on the field or on the you know on the deck or on the wherever it might be you know on the playing field um, is and where they have to dig deep is is if that culture hasn't been instilled in them at a young age or within the program that you're delivering as a coach. Yeah, no, it's a special thing, and sometimes coaches can really create that desire to want to be part of something. It doesn't have to be salubrious. It doesn't have to be gold star. But the internal mechanisms, that camaraderie and that special or those special relationships that are ultimately facilitated by the coach really make people want to be part of something that's actually bigger than them. And the the, the the strongest thing I've ever read about and come across as regards that Hilton um, is the the study uh, by James Kerr called Legacy into the to the All Blacks um, about how they resurrected in I think it was about two thousand how they resurrected the cultural meaning of what it means to be a Kiwi. Um, and and that just was something um, that that's so powerful and, and and is exactly as far as I'm concerned what you're referring to here. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, and it's it's vastly important. It's not just I read that book as well, um, Rob, uh, and and you know how how the old, older um, players um, create that culture and install that culture continuously into the newer players as they as they come along. And I do much very much the same thing. Um, you know, and they always say it takes a, a village to bring up a child. Yeah. Um yeah, that's a an African African uh, saying, um uh, proverb that that it's always used in Africa. It takes a village to bring a child up. Um and uh, we're, uh, I'll tell you a very interesting story. Yeah, perfect. Um, we uh, we had a um, we've got a couple of very intelligent young men that are in our squad, and I won't use the exact words because um, I think I'd uh, give too much away. But one of the one of the younger gentlemen, also about fifteen, sixteen, he um, said to one of the girls that. He uh, is. He was on the the South African spelling bee um, team. Uh, you know, he's uh, well reversed in the yes. English language. And um, long story short, he came up with a couple of words for you. Come for the younger girls to 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 uh, learn and to increase their vocabulary. And um, and the one word uh, was they used was. Um, uh, nymphomaniac, and it <laughs> meant that you that you were uh, and being an idiot for the day. Yeah. Okay. And some of the some of the uh, 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 athletes um, 
took it really to heart for, for three or four days that the one athlete went along and actually said it to her mother, who, who politely phoned me and wanted to know that uh, I didn't, she didn't know that my uh, coaching um, criteria was to educate her daughter in the English language. So I said, well, it wasn't just me. It was uh, that I had played watching it. It was, it was the senior boys that thought they would uh, help the younger younger athletes. And it's things like that that just builds the culture and builds the whole camaraderie with the team. And it, it, it was an absolute laugh for about two or three days until we had to bear ourselves and had to tell this child that she couldn't say the word because, yeah. um, or use the word loosely or loosely like she did, uh, because, yeah, yeah. because it didn't have the, the metric meaning that she knew it was. Yeah, and yeah. It was, it was, it was Stories like that that make you make you laugh and make sure that you're building a culture within the team that that, that lives forever. Yeah, it's those kind of little anecdotal things that are the real, the real integral parts of what a culture is and, and it's only the people on the inside who understand that every culture yeah. has its own subtleties hilton and it doesn't matter what the stories are it, it's the meaning behind them and it's a it's great stuff and i love i love the phrase about it takes a, a village to bring a child up I, I think that's fantastic i think and especially in today's world where often in the first world as we call it you know it's all about families in a house and um you know your parents or your the people of guardians who look after you and people in 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 our uh, say in in, the, in the, if i can use the word developed world they've lost that you know grandparents when they get older are put into homes and um you know it's the, that that integrated family uncles aunties uh, much more asian much more african if i can use that uh, rather than european now and um it, it, it's lost and I think there's a value yeah. that that's lost in that Hilton, which you've alluded to. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100. percent And I mean, it's not just in Europe; it's in Africa as well. But uh, you know, the biggest thing that we need to remember that we are we are imparting knowledge, uh, life skill knowledge as coaches, and it's not just um, the sport that we're coaching, be it football, tennis, rugby. Um, water polo, swimming, whatever it might be, you know, they, they the, the coaches need to understand that they um, they're not uh, across all aspects of uh, the way they present themselves, and especially with digital and how they present themselves in digital in the digital marketing era. Um, you know, I've had a couple of coaches where I've had to pull up and say, hey, listen, you can't use your Instagram post like that. Please take that down off Instagram. Because it just doesn't lend the right thing that we want to create, and you know, every every um, athlete, you know, um, coach Rob's my new coach, and he's quite a cool guy. Uh, let's see where I can find him. The first thing I go is going to go look at Facebook and look at Instagram, mm-hmm. you know, um, and uh, pick up what you what you're following. And um, I've had dealings where many coaches, uh, uh, not many, but I've the dealings where coaches have lost their jobs because of posting things that are irrelevant to their, their profession. So, um, you know, culture and, and presentation, how we present ourselves. Another really cool story I can tell you when I re- in my really early days of coaching, Rob, yeah. I used to coach 
uh, where I started um, back in the Eastern Cape or, you know, in Hutnag. And my whole first philosophy of coaching as well was um, I wanted to give back to the program that gave to me when I was a, a junior. Yeah. So when I was uh, 19, um, I, I was going to start coaching, you know, and uh, which I duly did. And uh, I used to, uh, you know, track pants. I, I, I didn't, uh, track pants back in the 80s were, you know, they were elasticated around the ankles and I hated the elastication around my ankles. I used to pull up my uh, my, my my track pants above my calves and yeah. then let the pants hang halfway, uh, you know, through yeah. my calves. It looked like a three-quarter pants that I had on. So I had um, sneakers on or, 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 mm. or trainers and track pants, uh, uh, a sweater, a T-shirt, a report, and a pair of Ray-Ban shades, and I used to coach alongside the pool deck. Yeah. And, uh, and presentation is so much at that point in time that the one day I was standing on the side of the pool busy coaching a group of kids before the next group had come in, and I had a, a twice a week or three times a week, I used to coach a group of kids between the ages of six and eight for 45 minutes just to you know, an introduction to swimming. They could swim, but teaching more strokes and that yeah. And the one day I caught my eye, these three guys, these little boys came in between the ages of six and eight. They had shades on, <laughs> their 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 on, and all their track pants were were, were pulled up over their cars, <laughs> and they come walking down the come down walking down the pool to say how's it to me. Yeah, yeah. And I look at this one and I go, "Hey, you actually quite cool today, you know." <laughs> don't don't think that presentation uh, as a coach goes unnoticed. Mm. No, uh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Don't underestimate your ability to influence people. You do not know Hilton, do you? Um, it's a great story. That's a beautiful story, especially with youngsters of that age. They are so impressionable, huh? Yeah. Yeah, very much. They're very impressionable. But you as a young coach, as a young man that's going out, you know, he might have even finished his uh, schooling football career or his youth football career and he wants to hang out with his mates at the pub and, and have a couple of hours, but he also wants to still be involved and he gets a, a part-time job at the at the little league soccer team, whatever it is. But just make sure that you present yourself. And I mean, it's um, I know a couple of the, our senior coaches uh, in 2016 Olympic trials. They came to finals every single night in a suit and tie. Yeah. So you you, you suddenly you suddenly look at yourself and you say to yourself, "I've got full kit on. Um, you know." golfer, trousers, you know, proper shoes. And this coach arrives in a suit and a tie, white shirt, suit and a tie with his stopwatch standing outside of the pool deck. And you think to yourself, that has got it all because his swimmer's going to deliver because look how he's presented himself. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, an interesting, it's an interesting story that you, you, you can throw around and, and, and how, um, how people perceive you. I mean, I've had, Many people come to me and say to me, Hilton, uh, even my own two kids who are 18 and 19, they, they turn around and say, Dad, we bought your kit, but you're always permanently in, in, in branded kits, you know, in, in team kit. You know, uh, mm. like I'm talking to you today in the, the middle of COVID-19, I've got team kits on, you know, because mm. I've come to the office and 
uh, I won't go to the office without Team Ketop. So, mm-hmm. yeah, branding, Team Kits and uh, apparel and, and building the brand all goes hand in hand. It's vitally important to how you maintain it as a coach. No, and it's a great story. And one of the things, Hilton, um, if I can just go back to my own coach education in the fundamental coach education when, when I was really striving hard to get my basic badges. You know, you used to get failed. You're, you'd fail your badge for not having your socks pulled up or not having your shirt tucked in and not looking like you were professional. Now, all that kind of thing is overlooked as far as I know and it's much more lax and all that kind of thing is considered not so important. And um, I have to say... I'm sticking my neck out that I actually think in all walks of life, including that coach education, that the there is this change and I'm not sure that it's actually for the best. Yeah, you know, we I I I'm old school of that as well, Rob. And and I mean I've got a couple of kids um that'll come down and they will wear their track pants half masked. And the first thing I wanted to know from them is someone had died in the family because I mean we only we only you know we hang flags half mast yeah. if someone's passed on. Yes, uh, it, it, it's my tongue in cheek of, of putting a bit of discipline in. You know, yeah. it doesn't help. Um, it doesn't help reprimanding a child, but uh, uh, but if you give him the right direction, um, you know, and again I wouldn't laugh it out. You know, he would come and greet me as a coach, and I'd say, "How are you?" Um, sorry to hear that someone's passed in the family, you know? And the coaches, the athletes bewildered to say, um, I don't know where you're coming from, coach. Yeah, yeah. Well, your fence is half mask and, you know, we only, we, we draw the flag half mask when someone's passed in the family or someone's uh, important being in a past time. Yeah, uh, They absolutely. quickly uh, attire themselves correctly if they uh, want the right response out of you as a coach. And especially if you've seen it as a mentor and, and carry that mental status, which you'd like to to impart uh, with your athlete, you know? No, it's a great story, and it carries a lot of meaning, and it means a lot to me personally. I've, um, I've, I've great, hold great stall for that kind of thing, how you present yourself, and, um, you know, first impressions, people, you know, people say it's very difficult to overcome first impressions. I'm sure we all do, and we all make snap judgments, but you might as well have everything in your favour as um, have to overcome, yeah. work twice as hard to overcome the fact that you've um, not not you know attired yourself in the in the appropriate way. But um, no, that's great, Hilton. I mean, blimey, we've covered some fantastic stuff already. Um, you know, the story about the village is is going to stick with me. The your focus as a human being on other human beings and their all round global development. The ability that you've obviously found to inspire people, young people from through from the, you know, the, the non swimmers to the to the to the ones who are who are gunning for, for national recognition in your ability to bring people on and you know the story of how you've worked through the challenges of environments and, and, and financial restrictions personally and, and in your industry. It's wonderful stuff. Um, so kind of where where's your focus now, Hilton? Um, obviously I do know that you've um, you know, you you coach some blimey, some real good good swimmers. What, what's your focus now? I think you're quite into education as well. I've heard some good things about, you know, how you like to to help other coaches as well. So, where are you now? Um, 
with a coaching side or with the, with the coach's education? Yeah, both, both Hilton. I'd like to know, you know, kind of both of those strands would be great. Well, from a coaching perspective, you know, um, we, we hopefully we can pick it up soon that we can get our athletes back in the water yeah. and ready for postponed 2020. Um, it, to me it, uh, and to athletes, some of the athletes that I'm coaching, it actually falls in our favor that the postponement of 2020. Right. Um, because it allows the athletes to finish schooling mm-hmm. and um, it will give me a, a good 28 weeks to to try and um, make sure that something can be delivered for the uh, games in in Japan. Right. Um, yeah, and uh, that's the, 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 that's from a coaching perspective. And I think I've got more of an opportunity or more athletes having an opportunity to have a go at Oh, just I've got... grown. Presentation. I have. I had a presentation this morning, which I was asked from a, a, another a province, or what you guys would call a county. Yeah. Um. Uh. To pre- present long-term path development. Um, and I, uh, I broke it up into two segments and I um, presented the one segment today. So they'll said to me they would let me know when they would like the second segment presented. And that's part of our continued learning within our, our, our federations, um, yes. uh, LTP, uh, in our federations, what's it, uh, uh, CBD points, continued uh, professional yeah. development points. Yeah. So... Um, you know that's been, and I find myself. People ask me regularly to to present stuff. I've got, I've been asked to present at our South African Coaches Conference uh, on teaching fundamentals on turns, on on, right. on turning off the walls, and how do you teach fundamentals? A lot of explosive jumps, you know, rotation, you know, that type yes. of stuff, which is related to, um, you know, where um, it's a basic skill, but it's um, like uh, a football coach would be teaching to kick off his left foot and uh, an athlete yes. to kick off his left foot and to kick off his right foot. Yes, um, that type of that type of stuff. So it's a fundamental um, and and at at grassroots level. So I'll be presenting to grassroots coaches, yeah. grassroots coaches of 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 the level that I'm. I'm coach, uh, coaching with a colleague coaches that I'll be, co- uh, be presenting to. So um, last l- last year I presented a um, a, a talk on uh, producing freestylers. I I have sprint freestylers, uh, female sp- uh, freestyle sprinters that I I've got a really strong group of of athletes from the ages of twelve. To the ages of 19. So right. I've got some, in some ages, I've got more than one athlete, but uh, my sprint style and producing female sprinters um, has, um, has got me to, to talk to a couple of coaches around Africa and um, in, it, uh, you know, in South Africa about female sprinting and producing female athletes. Mm. Do, you, do you know what's what's really heartening Hilton about listening to you because I've asked you about your own coaching your practice and I've asked you about your coach education and I, I think personally it's such a wonderful thing that 
you are passionate about coach education and passing on your knowledge about whether it's about the technical aspects of your of your profession and your your coaching but actually you're actually somebody who's out there doing it so you know you're not somebody sitting in an office who's finished coaching now and you're just um, blindly giving out theory you're actually somebody who's getting his hands dirty out there on the pool deck coaching athletes understanding the realities of the situation of the 21st century and at the same time imparting that knowledge to other young coaches because very often you find that the pathway can be that once a coach gets established and sometimes this is an an environmental factor where the jobs just aren't there that people take a job in coach education but actually after two years of being a coach educator unfortunately they have lost touch with the the current reality of the situation and it's lovely to hear somebody who has actually managed to negotiate the path and is doing both of those things because that is is and will be of such value in in my opinion yeah i think you're right to say that robin i've seen it happen to a lot of coaches uh, uh, that have also said i will stop coaching and uh, we'll uh, you know, going to coach uh, education, that type, type of stuff, and that, and they haven't been there for very long, three, four years down the line, and they, and they fall out of it, um, uh, because they haven't been, you know, in touch with that coach or, or in touch with the athletes, and that's, I think that's the most important thing about, uh, as a coach, when do you stop learning? Um, and when do you uh, start sharing? And uh, the question always is, you never stop learning. Um, uh, and the quicker, and I said this this morning in this LTPD presentation that I, I gave, I said that <laughs> I like to ask coaches questions. And you find that the ones that share actually know. And the ones that don't share don't know. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you can ask in a group, you don't have to ask a coach individually, you can ask a group of coaches, what do you think of left-footed footballers? Yeah. And um, one might just off that chirp you and, uh, and give you an, an answer, and two of them will look you up and down, and the first one say, I've had some good results with my left-footers. Um and you'll find that the two that haven't said anything have never had the experience or cannot, cannot share that knowledge. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's where it comes in is about how you share that knowledge uh, with your experience and you have. And if you don't ask questions, and people are too shy. So as I was saying, it, you, know, um, you ask a coach, you, know, you ask a question, yet, you know, what's your experience on left-footed athletes or whatever it might be. And in a group and... Someone might say, you know, X, Y, Z, or I feel this way about it, and uh, you'll get two coaches or the other coaches that are in the group will not say anything, and you'll find that those coaches don't actually know. Yeah, yeah. And and that's the sad reality to 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 the watchman, and that's and that's um, that's what makes the difference of of a coach that that's willing to learn and willing to share as the coach that's going to be ahead of the game. And yeah. staying ahead of the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's um, it's something that I come across it on the leader manager coach. We're talking to people and sharing things. 
very much of having this attitude of being this eternal student. Um, it's something that keeps coming up all the time, Hilton, and, and, and I'm very sure that's what you're uh, you're referring to in that. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been asked questions about certain things, and I said I'll find out, and I'll, and I'll tell you, and I'll tell you uh, what, what the answer is. But I don't know. No. Um, you know, and and I don't proclaim to be, um, you know, the the best um, coach uh, around, but I do give it my best try. Yeah. And I give it my best shot. You know, and and that's what you need to be um, assertive of, and and make sure that you deliver. Yeah. You know. Um, you know, who says that, um, uh, and I'll use Jake White, for example. I mean, Jake White, uh, both his boys swam in my swim program. You know, and, and again, uh, you know, what made Jake stand out about the rest when he when he won the World Cup was he actually asked Eddie Reese for help. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You, know, you, you, you take Eddie Reese, you know, he, you know, he does consult with other coaches regarding uh, his players, and he doesn't know it all. And, uh, you know, it's also dealing with personalities because there's different personalities and uh, different things that bring out uh, different things on on different athletes. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you um, uh, are going to be uh, the best or know it all to, to that field. If you be able to use the right resources, um, to get the best out of the athletes and, and make sure that the athletes trust you, that, that the process that you're following is for the best interest of what their, their results going to be, you're going to have athletes going to back you 100% all the time. Yeah, um, absolutely, Hilton. That, absolutely. Yeah. We had a, we had a discussion with, a, with an Australian coach on Saturday, which uh, was, was two and a half hours. And, uh, you know, he, he was asked the question, um, you know, where do you learn certain stuff? So he said, you know, he, he learned from certain coaches, um, Australian coaches that, that go around. And, and um, you know, he, he said his biggest thing that he learned uh, and was the biggest impact that he had uh, was that he never communicated properly. So he feels when he, when he coaches today, and what's made a difference, he's produced nine Olympic medals. Right. He's the, co- the Australian coach with the highest uh, medal count um, in Australian swimming. Wow. So, yeah, you, you, you ask him, you know, what makes you stand up? And, and, he's, and his question, his answer was straight up. I communicate with those athletes all the time. Or what are we going to do, even if we have to do the exercise over? If we're doing it, if, if someone turns around and says, we're doing, uh, we did the same program as last week, but you didn't do this correctly. And this is why we're doing the program over. This is what I want you to achieve out of it. Yes, communication. So if, if, you, if, you, if, you, if your communication is clear, but if you don't put the objective of what you want to achieve out of it, uh, a lot of athletes just think that the coach is also bored. His communication is imperative to what he wants to achieve out the program. Yes. And I say, whatever practice he, he, he's having, he says, we might be doing the same as we did three weeks ago or the same session, but this is what I want to achieve out the program today. So that there's a clear cut understanding what there is an achievement to be achieved out of the program. And uh, every, every session counts. Every, every session has accountability to it. 
So that was quite an interesting um, uh, talk to listen to because he emphasized that that's what he was lacking and that's what's made him a better coach and put him ahead of the rest of them. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's it's great. It's a great... I think the clarity of objectives for players and obviously for swimmers is of paramount importance. And it's so easy because you think you know what the objective is to assume that the players know and you have to simplify it sometimes, Hilton. I think it's a great lesson. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, Rob, many times also will say to an, uh, an athlete, I would like you guys to write a program for Tuesday and Thursday next week. Right. Uh, the Tuesday program you write collectively as a, as, a, as a group, and then I'll single someone out, one individual out, to, to write the program for Thursday. Yeah. And then, you, you know, you look at it and you'll go, a kid has a valid point, or the kid must have enjoyed the session. To you know, there's ninety percent of the time they've got something in their head that they will enjoy. Yes. Um, you know, and uh, you know, when you get the older athletes, they will just go, "We'll do the bare minimal and get out of it if we can get going home." You know. Um, yeah. But the younger athletes always find that they want to do something that challenges them and yep. they got something out of it. You know, yes. there was some meaning to it. Um, and uh, if, you, if you tap into that of the athletes that you, you, you're coaching, you, your results just soar to a new level and a different kind of perspective. Yeah, no, that's another another one. And I think here in, um, in the UK, coaching young kids, um, what we'll do really is and we we ought to do it more often is we'll at the end of the season when there's pressures off or the games are, are running down we'll actually allow the kids to create their own sessions and th- sometimes it's such great fun and the kids are so engaged you make you yeah. think we should be doing this like once a fortnight or once a month or, or even more often than that um, because of what they get yeah. out of it. And somehow the coach's fear or the coach's ego or, or, or the demands of, of the organisation get in the way and um, it doesn't always happen as much as you think it should. But I think it's a great point, Hilton. Yeah, that, that's, that's very true, Rob. Um uh, 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 like I said to you early on, it's, it's about, um, you know, we, we, we're so driven to making sure that the plan is implemented, you know, um, the accountability to the success yes. of, of the program is implemented. And we sometimes lose, lose sight of that um, that fun aspect of, of of the development of the athlete. Yeah. Do you, do you, you think? Know, do you think it's a courage thing, Hilton? Do you think it's like a a maturity thing when you are more of a mature coach and you could actually rationalise your decision? Do you think it's a courage thing to actually have that ability to stand up and say, "No, I'm doing this because I believe in it," um, irrelevant of actually what the curriculum should be or what you think your boss might say. You, you, you know what it is, Rob? It, it, it's the fact that a lot of coaches don't know how to read body language. Okay. 
And I always, I, I've said to my own kids, I want them to go and wait up. Yeah. I said, what for? I said, because it's the first life skill you'll learn to read somebody's body language. Yeah. You know, tendering in the bar or waiting at the local uh, state steakhouse or yeah. we got very young South Africa. So, yeah, that's kind of... Um, and it teaches a vital life skill of learning to read people's body language. Yeah. And us coaches sometimes... I always look at my athletes' feet, okay. yeah, how they walk. Yeah, their feet turning inwards, their feet turning outwards. Are they are they stomping on their heels? You know, how how do they walk into practice? Right. Just look at their feet on their feet, how they walk. And 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 if you're standing on one side of the pitch, you know, and you blow the whistle and all the lads come walking to you, you'll get you'll quickly pick up the body language. Yes. Quickly pick up the body language. And the quickest question is, how do you engage that athlete to the program? Yeah. You know, with quick, quick to point fingers and turn around, you know, you're not applying yourself. Okay, well, he, he, he made it to practice. We came to practice or he arrived at practice, given that he was brought or he was delivered or how he got there, the athlete. So the question is, how do you make him engage? Yes. Yes. And a, a prime example in South Africa in, 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 in our summer season, January to March. You know, the kid coming in from school, he's blood red in his face. It's 32 degrees outside or 35 degrees outside here in South Africa. Yeah. And uh, it comes to sunny. And yeah. the, the kid spent two hours on the field or an hour on the field playing cricket and he had physics today at school and he had swimming today at school or whatever. And uh, the kids dehydrated. Yeah. And if you as a, as a coach cannot read the athlete's body language and what he's actually experiencing, you know, you're never going to get the best out of that kid or get, 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 yeah. get the best out of that athlete. Yeah. And, and I think coaches need to, need to learn that, that skill. It's a skill that, that a lot of coaches don't have, and it does take a good time to, to, um, to uh, learn that skill. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know, and, and also, when the, old, the athlete gets older, um, if you don't have that, and I mean, I have a, a very assertive um, policy of, of adhering to when you arrive on my pool deck. You will greet me by hand, and you will greet me by hand at the end of the session. So, and again, that comes and falls within alignment of the duty of care. You know, that's another uh, topic of discussion. You know, duty of care to a coach. When do, you, when do you take, when is duty of care in your hands and when is duty of care out of your hands? Yeah. You know, the fact that the, I, I greet the child or the athlete by hand, I've taken cognizance that they are there. Yeah. Uh, I can in, engage in their personal uh, space by saying to them, um, is there anything you need to say or can you maybe get mom and dad to to come and talk to me after we need to discuss a couple of things or whatever it might be. And the same thing, the reflection at the end of the session, the end of the program, you know, mm. 
Well done. I saw you applied yourself uh, well today on on the left uh, footed mm. kicking drill. Mm. Um, I, I enjoyed that bicycle attempt on on free play at the, in the in the last ten minutes of the game or, or, or practice. Um, you know, I see your cross kicks. Uh, your, the weight of the cross kicks have improved. Mm. Um, and you know, again, you're in the athlete space, and you, you don't have to. Uh, verbally uh, express it to the rest of the team. You know, you're in that athlete space for that moment. Acknowledge them. Acknowledge yeah. the practice that you've had. You acknowledge the work ethics that they've had. And if they need to say something, they can say, hey, coach, thanks very much. I really appreciate it. I really had a tough day today at school. Um, or mom's giving me so much uphill. Yeah. You know, whatever. You know, And you build that relationship with you know whoever the athlete is, with with an integration of of that skill that you're passing on to them, and and it won't be very long before you'll be able to be be able to pick up that traits of that athlete and understand where that athlete's coming from. And if he really needs to say something to you, you say to him, "Yeah, we we have the opportunity of sitting in the in the dugout and and having a private conversation. Get dressed warmly." And before you go home, come and speak to me in the dugout, and we can have a mm. we can have a chit chat, and uh, you can explain yourself clearly. So mm. that that important skill of of uh, coaches reading that body language and understanding that duty of care and acknowledgement uh, of that duty of care within um, you know understanding the, the the body language of that athlete um, that you're dealing with. Yeah. It's vitally important for you, you developing that skill as a coach. Kelton, it's such beautiful detail in that and so much wisdom and so much knowledge about developing relationships and that famous <laughs> phrase that um, I love so much that, that comes across in what you say that People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And everything that you've just talked about kind of sums up uh, all the all the things that go on to create that 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 feeling in a young person or an older person that actually the person who is my coach, who is looking out for me genuinely has my best interests at heart and you've kind of just described the daily routines the weekly routines the things that happen that fundamentally underpin all that and it's great to hear and and it's wonderful stuff that's a pleasure rob so hilton listen i i could I could carry on this conversation for another time, another hour, another two hours. I'm sure we could go on topic after topic. Um, I do want, I want to respect your time and, and I need to bring it to a, to a little close. Um, blimey, this has exceeded all my... I feel a bit embarrassed that it's taken me so long to get you on the podcast because this has um, kind of taught me a lesson, actually, um, or underlined a lesson. I've always, not always, but I've recently come to the understanding that, you know, there's so much to be gleaned from coaches outside the sport that kind of is my focus. And wow, you've actually blown me away. And I know, I know, I know, I know for a fact that whoever listens to this, uh, there's so much that that will resonate. And, you know, I can't thank you enough for your time. And I, I know now why you are 
um, having the effect on, on, on athletes that, that you are, Hilton. So for me personally, I'd like to thank you for your time. Is there anything you want to just finish off with just to, um, you know, just to, to wrap up or say, say anything else about, you know, where people can perhaps get in touch with you if um, anybody wants to find out a little bit more about you and contact you in any way? Well, Rob, Eric, coaches are welcome to contact me on my email address. is quite simple. It's coach at swimlab.co.za. So it's coach, C-O-A-C-H, at swimlab, S-W-I-M-L-A-B, .co.za. So if anybody wants to know anything more or um, would like to know anything about South African coaching or any uh, opportunities of... um, tours and stuff to South Africa um, always um, linked to a lot of coaches with uh, different uh, experiences around South Africa which can, uh, we can always link in and, uh, and work with Well Hilton um, I just want to thank you again for your time it's been an absolute pleasure I'm, I'm so blessed personally to be able to um, to, to tap into, uh, into this and um, yeah it's fantastic so thank you for your time pal and um, yeah, yep. we'll uh, we'll catch up again, huh?